Thank you so much, Quay family, for the beautiful music. Sophie and Paris, beautiful, beautiful song. Thank you to the Devaliers for beautiful praise music. I'm glad Daniel came up front. He has the right to. It's his birthday today. So happy birthday to little Daniel. Not so little anymore. Good to see you, brothers and sisters. Glad you're with us. Our sermon title is A Bigger and Better Perspective, Living and Forgiving. I come from a long line of pilots in my family. My grandfather, my father, and my brother are all private pilots. They have private pilots' licenses. That's one of the things that I love about our Medford church family is that we have a lot of pilots here, which is just another of the long list of reasons of why I feel so at home here. As a young boy, we went flying fairly often. I always loved it. I remember that exhilarating feeling as, as we would climb up into the sky quickly and then be able to see the broad landscape below how awesome it was to get that bigger and better perspective my father was always diligent to point out the different way marks of the landscape below and help me get my bearings as we looked around he would show me the different roadways that we would travel every day in our car and Help me to see them so that I could see how things better connected around our town where we live. One of my favorite parts of these flights is when he would show me our home from above and point that out. And I always had a warm feeling come over where I could, when I could see where we lived. I thought that was extra special. Every time that I fly today, I have this memory. I think about these things. Every time I fly with my kids, I want to do the same thing for them, so I'm always trying to make sure that they get the window seat so that they could have that bigger and better perspective from above. I've often tried to get them to meet the pilot also himself so that they could feel an extra part of the experience. They love flying, and I love that they love flying, because I, as a dad, want my kids to soar, not just on the wings of a metal airplane, right? I, I want my kids to soar in every aspect of this life and beyond. Today we continue in our sermon series entitled, The Story of the Cross. Last week, Pastor Brian was talking to us about Jesus' ability to reveal truth in every circumstance at all costs. I love that. Today, we're going to be focusing on forgiveness as we continue our journey to allow the cross of Jesus Christ to give us that bigger and broader perspective on this world and that heavenly kingdom to come. The Word of God 
points us to the cross to help give us that bigger and better perspective so we can get our bearings when navigating this difficult world. Our Heavenly Father, our pilots, He wants us to soar with Him. Do you believe that? God is pointing us to the best pathways in His Word so that everyone can be connected and so that we can all find that way home safely. Today we're going to go into that word in Luke chapter 23. That's where we're going to spend the majority of our time. And here we're going to see Jesus' arrest again. We're there in Luke 23, we see the context that this absurd and illegal trial is happening where Jesus is getting passed between powers from Pilate and Herod, and neither Pilate nor Herod find any real reason to crucify Jesus. Yet the crowds are demanding that Jesus be crucified, which is insane because just a short while earlier, crowds were showing adoration to Jesus, right? As he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and they were shouting, Hosanna, blessed be the name, the one who comes in the name of the Lord, waving palm branches. This is all indicative of Jesus being royalty and them recognizing this. Jesus, he who was the creator, the sustainer of all things in this world, animates and inanimates, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, How could the crowd turn against him that quickly? It just reminds us of how this world can turn on a dime. Amen. Anyone can go from a mountaintop experience and plummet straight down to a deep valley way too quickly. Maybe we can take some solace in the fact that the Creator Himself experienced these things. He suffered these same inconsistencies and hurt in the world from people that we ourselves have unfortunately experienced too. The adoring crowd, just a little while before, is now condemning Jesus. Here's what Luke chapter 23, verse 23 says about it. It says this, But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. This is such a difficult scene to imagine, especially if you had been a follower of Jesus those three and a half years of his ministry from since the time of his baptism, this angry mob is shouting and insistently demanding that this wonderful person, Jesus, be crucified. And they were effective. They were persuasive. Pilate turns Jesus over to the soldiers to take him to Golgotha, which is the place of the skull. And there was no returning Make no mistake, no returning from a hill that bore such a name. Jesus' fate was sealed 
with that decision. Now, as they traveled to this destination for punishment and death, Luke chapter 23, 27 to 31 gives us some more context of Jesus and what was happening there. As it records an interesting story, it says a large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and he said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Jesus, in his full distress, in his pain, Jesus smack in the middle of this humiliation, he sees some people who are suffering and he stops to help. They're watching these atrocities play out against Jesus and they are moved rightly to tears. But he takes time as he marches towards the place of the skull. Every step he knows is a step closer to the worst fate possible, the most insane, insidious death you can imagine. Yet he stops and takes time for people who are in tears to help them to have a better, broader perspective. He warns them. He warns them and says there is a greater trouble coming. It's like he is giving them that better perspective of remembering that they are in a predicament themselves. They are part of a difficult situation and they don't even realize it, maybe. He's reminding them that things on earth are going to get worse. Yes, for Jerusalem in the imminent future. Yes, in the end of time, exponentially. But this is the very reason that Jesus is marching toward the cross. Jesus is headed to the cross to give everyone that grand perspective that we have all been lacking because of the brokenness of sin. And out of the many facets that we could explore of this grand perspective of the cross, I'd like to focus on just three today with you. Three perspectives of the cross. Number one, Jesus is headed to the cross to show us God's perspective of us. Number two, I want to talk about Jesus is headed to the cross to give us a better perspective of God. And last but not least, Jesus is headed to the cross to help us in our perspective of others. So let's start with the first, let's start with Jesus' perspective of us, God's perspective. Let's look at Luke chapter 23 now, verses 33 and 34. I love this passage. I know you probably do too. The Bible says there, when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. 
Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Could there be, folks, a more telling statement from Jesus about God's heart for people than this statement right here? We already saw that he took time to help people as he marched toward the crucifixion spot, but now the first words out of his mouth on the cross recorded are these. I mean, think about this. The nails have just been freshly hammered into his hands and into his feet. He has just felt the thud of that huge cross being dropped down into that hole and into its place. He is feeling agony from this perfectly designed torture device that is wreaking havoc on every part of his mind and his body. He's seeing the crowd, many who are mocking him. He sees the Roman soldiers calloused, cold, looking at him as he is no better than any of the other criminals that they have seen that is worthy of death. Yet Jesus speaks truth with a collective mind about God in this climactic and crucial moment of earth's history, calling on the forgiveness for all all who are completely unworthy of forgiveness. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus is ready. He's willing to forgive because he has that grand perspective of all people. Jesus orchestrated the prophet and king David to write about the true condition of the human heart in Psalm 103, 14 to 16, which says, For he knows, God knows, Jesus knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over and it's gone. And its place is remembered no more. Yes, Jesus knows. He knows we are fragile because of our sin. He sees us as these delicate, beautiful flowers, but knows that they, we are susceptible and prone to quick disaster and destruction. Jesus knows the difficult condition of the human heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? God can understand it. Jesus understands it. Why are men and women so fickle? Why do we, why are we so difficult to understand so often? So quick to change our minds and so prone to act in unpredictable ways? Because our own hearts deceive us often. And as a result, we wreak havoc on ourselves and others around us constantly. Jesus had that broader perspective of the human condition. He knows Jesus knows that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, not even one, Paul declares in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Jesus knows that. 
Isaiah 53, verse 6 says, We are all like sheep and have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Jesus knows that every single inhabitant of earth has gone astray from God. And so nothing is a surprise to him. This is why Jesus goes to the cross. All the ridiculousness of sin and iniquity and wickedness, he is ready to take away from the world and bear it on his broad shoulders. He's ready. Jesus is ready to forgive, ready to reconcile us to the Father, ready to conquer this grand problem, ready to end this great controversy, ready to resolve every minute detail of the fiasco of sin. He's ready. And it worked. The cross is so beautiful, so complex, so deep and so rich and abounding in effective mercy. There are not enough good adjectives to describe what was accomplished for us at the cross. I love this painting by Coombe Bryant. Found it online. It's really nice. Because of the cross, we have a bigger and better perspective on the greatness of God. And it's amazing. And this is our second point of perspective today that Jesus is headed to the cross to give us a better perspective of God. Because of the cross, we see that God is ever ready and ever willing to forgive. Amen? Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, one of my favorite verses about Jesus and his ministry. It says, therefore, he, Jesus, is able... To save how much? Completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for us, for them. Because of the cross, we see this ever readiness of God to help us, to forgive us, play out in real time. We see it. Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them. Even as he is gasping for every single breath that he is taking there in those final moments on the cross, just to stay alive. Because that's the kind of God he is to the core. He's the God who won't quit, he can't quit who always lives for you and for me. Because of the cross, we see something profound, and that is living and forgiving go hand in hand with God. He lives and he forgives, and this is a beautiful, beautiful way to live the whole world has been touched by this, hasn't it? By what happened on that day, on that hill, when the Son of God was crucified. 
people's lives for generations now have been transformed. They've been changed because their hearts were broken by this outpouring of love that was seen there. And now we have a bigger and better perspective of God and how he operates and how he lives and forgives. We as Christians have a bigger and better perspective of all of our brothers and sisters around us in this world, don't we? That's our last perspective that we need to talk about today. Jesus shows us the bigger and better broader perspective all should have with all of their fellow inhabitants in this world if he jesus ever lives to intercede for us shouldn't we be willing to do the same for others also if he understands that we are like dust and knows that our hearts deceive us and he remembers that we are all like sheep that have gone astray, then surely he's begging for us to do likewise and remember these same things about all of our brothers and sisters around us so that they can come closer to him. Jesus is calling us while we live to be all about forgiving he wants us to be all about living and forgiving like him. Living and forgiving go hand in hand for the Christian because we've seen its power in the story of the cross. Revelation chapter 12, 10 to 11 says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now has come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night have been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. This passage is talking about the power of the cross and its effectiveness in casting Satan down. And it says something very interesting, I don't want us to miss, about Satan and the work that he does that is being cast down. Did you catch it? It says that he, Satan, accuses us. How often? Day and night before God. This leads me to suggest to us to take inventory of our life, to analyze our hearts, and to see what power we ourselves are aligning with. What will be the word of our testimony? Will it be all about living and forgiving? Or will it be more about abusing by accusing do we want to live a life that is all about building others up or a life that is all about tearing others down? Satan came to kill, to steal, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly to everyone. Revelation 12 reminds us again that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. The cross of Christ contains power 
because the powerful love of God can help us do what too often before has seemed to be impossible. Can we live to forgive others constantly in little ways every day and in big ways every day? Impossible, you might think. Before we close, I want to tell you the story again of a lady that lived in the time of World War II. After the defeat of Hitler's Nazi regime in World War II, Holocaust survivor and Christian Corey Ten Boom returned to Germany to declare the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. What a powerful story from this woman. We all have heard, I'm sure. One evening, after giving her message of forgiveness... She was approached by a man who identified himself as a former Nazi guard from the concentration camp at Ravensbrück where she had been held and where her sister, Betsy, had died. When Corey saw the man's face, she immediately recognized him as one of the most cruel and vindictive guards in the entire camp during their stay there. He reached out his hand to her and then he said, a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, will you forgive me? About this encounter, Corey writes, I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again been forgiven, and I could not forgive. Betsy, my sister, had died in that place. Could he ease her slow, terrible death simply by asking? It could have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. I had to do it. I, I knew that. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. As she reached out her hand to the former guard, Corey said that something incredible took place. She continues, The current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I, I forgive you, brother, I cried. With all my heart, I'd never known love so intensely as I did then. But even then I realized it was not my love. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. We're often taught oftentimes, way too often, faced with difficult people and seemingly too impossible of situations to be able to forgive. And too often, we ourselves are too difficult of people to even want to forgive. But I love what Corey Tim Boom says. She realizes it wasn't her love. It's the power of God that made it possible for her life. And if it's possible for her, it's possible for me. And if it's possible for me, 
Isn't it possible for everyone? It's possible because of a bigger and better perspective found in the story of the cross. In closing, Jesus said in John 12, 31 and 32, Now is the time for the judgment on this world. Now the prince of the world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Folks, when Jesus was lifted high on that cross, it began a revolution. It began a movement that has not stopped and cannot stop and will not stop in this world. It's a movement that is driving the prince of this world out and it's ushering eternal light and love and forgiveness and forever in for anyone who is willing to look to Jesus and behold the undying, never-ending love and forgiveness of God. Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us because he loves us that much. And not even death on the cross could stop his love from reaching out, could it? Death in the grave could not keep him back. He burst out of that tomb ready to forgive, ready to love, ready to help us every moment of our lives. And today, at this very moment, he's reaching out to your heart, even now, asking you to join him, drawing you to him. He was lifted up because he wants to lift you up. He wants to lift me up. The question is, do we want him to be our pilot today? Do we want to soar with him? If so, know that every day he is promising to give you bigger and better perspectives for living and forgiving and helping everyone find their way home safely to him. Will you stand? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are just so grateful that we are participants in this forgiveness that you offer so willingly every single day. You ever live to do this for us. Now by your power, may we ever live to do this for others. And Lord, I know each of our stories is so unique. Each of us are faced with obstacles and difficulties in our life that keep us from being willing sometimes to forgive. But Lord, we pray that every time we are tempted to turn our, a cold shoulder towards someone, that we will remember and we will look to the cross and we will see your amazing love for us and then flood our hearts, Lord, and let that love flow through us like Corey Tim Boom did that guard that day. May we extend forgiveness always so that we can draw everyone to that wonderful home you've promised. We love you, Lord. Bless this church family. 
May we go out now as agents of forgiveness in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.